I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Howard. To the mic, huh? You know, I wrote on my um, driver's license I was five nine, but I'm five seven. I don't know why I thought I'd be better five nine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyways, my name is Howard, a compulsive overeater. Hi, Howard. Um, so I've been in the program since 1986, um, with some definitely some hiatus periods. Um, top weight. 489, and um, I'm probably around, I don't know, 190, something like that. So, you know, it's a big difference. Um, but um, anyways, um, where do I want to start? I'm a little nervous with the taping and stuff. Um, anyway, um, you know, really the only things that have changed for me over all these years is that... Um, um, compulsive overeating for me, it's, it's always gotten progressively worse. It's never really changed except getting worse. Um, the substances, the food categories that I was, could never eat like a normal person growing up as a kid, which is white flour and refined sugar, that's still the, the, the categories of food that I still cannot eat like a normal person today. And really the only thing that's changed is... Um, is that um, it's gotten, like I said, a whole lot worse. Um, I, didn't really, I didn't grow up morbidly obese, but I always had probably a very slight uh, weight problem growing up. I didn't bring my pictures, but um, um, I forgot to bring them. But uh, anyway, I can remember being, gee, three, four, four or five years old and um, having the same problem with these particular foods. And my mom hiding food in the house and me always finding it. Um, um, you know, it was nev that never worked. You know, eating ice cream out of those old cartons they used to have and uh, turning it upside down so nobody would notice. Eating frozen cake at 10 years old. Um, just a lot of really weird stuff with food. And I like to, I believe for me, not because I read it in a book, but because it's my experience, is that um, I do have a physical allergy and a mental obsession. And if you read the big book, the way they talk about that. And I really believe that's true for me. Because really, as I said from the get-go, that's how it was. Um, everybody in my family except my mom is a compulsive overeater. Uh, my dad was a compulsive overeater. He died at 51 from a heart attack, and uh, I'm 52, so I made it a year past him. Um, my older brother is a compulsive overeater, drug addict, um, alcoholic. My younger brother, six years younger than me, is a compulsive overeater. But I had it by far the worst. And um, I have um, uncles and cousins. They are all compulsive overeaters. And, you know, the thing that I really found is that... Um, Self-sufficiency, willpower, um, how smart you are, all of those things that are so important with other areas, parts of my life, um, really didn't matter when it comes to compulsive overeating. Because believe me, I have tried over and over and over again my whole life to be at a normal weight. Not because I wanted to um, stop eating compulsively. I just really wanted to find something where I could stay thin, eat whatever I wanted to and stay thin, and that's, of course, that never worked. Um, I'm from Michigan. I grew up in Michigan, went to college in Arizona. 
Um, the reason why I wanted to come to college in Arizona was because I wanted to, you know, I figured if I come out west where it doesn't snow, you know, I'll no longer be a compulsive overeater. All these things, problems that I had in Michigan, I wouldn't have those problems in Arizona. Well, you know, I got to Arizona and I was, you know, lo and behold, I'm exactly the same person, right? Exactly the same. And it's always, it's always, you know, wherever you go, there you are, as they say. Um, going through college, you know, I tell you, I went on some diets in college, and uh, I was never morbidly obese, but I remember I was, I was thin. I'd gone on a, a diet, and um, I had sort of an epiphany, you know, like here I was. I was I had this part-time job, and I had this candy box, and uh, I can remember going into this candy and buying like I don't know a dollar's worth of stuff when you know it costs like ten cents a thing, so it's quite a bit of food. And then just wondering out loud, well, why am I doing this? Like, what's up with me? Because I always had this obsession with, with food. And I don't know why. It just, that's always the way it was. And, uh, you know, going on the diet, being thin for a little while, you know. And then my experience was is no matter how hard, how hard I tried, how great my dieting was, and I'm a great dieter, was that... Um, it never lasted because my experience is, is that diets are not designed to last. They only last for a finite period of time. They cannot last indefinitely because sooner or later that day is going to come when I'm going to start um, eating compulsively if that's all I'm doing. And it, it just it doesn't work like that. Um, going on, you know, finishing school, starting to work and, and all that stuff, I remember this was just going ahead – 1980, I don't know, 1984, my employer said that um, we're really concerned about you, your weight is out of control, you don't look very good, clients are complaining, we want you to go to the doctor and get checked out. So I went to the doctor, on the way to the doctor, I was living up north in uh, Monterey, and uh, in the car I'm thinking to myself, well, if I weigh 250, that's a lot, but I could live with that. That seems like a manageable number to me. So I go to the doctor, and I, I had not been on a scale for a long time, and I had not looked at myself from, you know, I'd only looked at myself from the neck up, not from the neck down. So I got on the scale, and the doctor said I weighed 352. And so, and you know, I'm thinking, how could I be 100 pounds off? So my denial was so strong and um, that I was 100 pounds off, 100 pounds off. And you think it's, it's the craziest thing. How could I not know that? Well, you know, I think probably I did know, certainly that I weighed more than 250, but um, 352 and a half, actually. I'll never forget the number. <laughs> 352 and a half. I said, oh, my God, I can't believe it. So, of course, at 352 and a half, I was miserable and isolated and lonely and, you know, full of shame and humiliation. I went on a diet, and I got down to about 180, 185. Of course, looked a lot better. But what I found when I lost all that weight in probably about a year was that I was still isolated, ashamed, humiliated. In other words, I hadn't changed Internally, I hadn't—I didn't know anything about the 12 steps of um, Alcoholics Anonymous or none of, none of those things. All I went was from a fat compulsive overeater to a thin one, and so I had physical recovery. And you know, my physical recovery 
it wasn't going to last because I hadn't changed at all. So, um, and see, that's the thing, you know. I always thought as a really fat person that when I was at a normal weight, my life would be great. But, of course, it's never great because, you know, you can go from being fat to thin, and you are who you are. But, you know, you have to, make, you have to do certain other things to change, to, um, to really enjoy your life. Um, anyways, my first meeting was in Monterey, 1986. And uh, I did not like the meeting. I didn't really know anything about um, Alcoholics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous at, in those days. I'd actually been to Pritikin in Santa Monica um, before. And there was a guy there who was going to OA meetings and told me about it. And I knew a little bit about it, about Alcoholics Anonymous, from watching um, Hill Street Blues and Knott's Landing. (laughs) Gary Ewing was an alcoholic, and this other guy, J.D. LaRue, on Hill Street Blues was an alcoholic. So I knew a little bit about that. But, of course, I didn't really know. So I went to the meeting in Monterey. I didn't like the meeting very much. It was... It was not something, I, although I had great hopes that it would be something that could help me, um, it was not something I really related to. And uh, the only saving grace was that at the end of the meeting, two very attractive women came up to me and gave me their phone number. And I thought, well, you know, maybe they were interested in me going out with them. <laughs> and that, I guess I could only say that that was enough for me to keep coming back in 1986. <laughs> Um, shortly after I went to San Francisco, I moved to San Francisco. I was in the San Francisco intergroup for a while in um, Marin County. Came to Los Angeles in 1987. The first meeting I went to in 1987 was at uh, Roxbury Park, Serenity Sunday, still going. Probably Len was there. Um, and, uh, you know, I really related to the meeting. I really related to the meeting. And... Um, it took me three years, about three years, to get any type of um, sustained abstinence. Um, what happened for me is I went to um, I went to Raider. They had this really great um, outpatient eating disorder program back in those days. And um, my schedule, this was in 1989, and I would go to Raider four nights a week, and then from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I was going to meetings of Overeaters Anonymous. In those days, there was the Thalians meeting at Cedar sinai Then on Saturday, there was the Maintainers meeting. And then on Sunday, there was Serenity Sunday and all of that stuff. So I got down from uh, 303 to about 170, and I stayed there a year uh, before I went into relapse. But, um, you know... It wasn't that I thought that I could start eating bread and sugar. It was that for I wasn't able or willing to take my recovery from this sort of diet mentality to the next level, you know. And people think when um, you've lost a lot of weight that, um, that you ha- might have, I think it must be just speaking for me, that I had more recovery than I really had. And what I mean by that is that not that I thought that I could start eating those things, but it's that, um, you know, when you're sort of, you're on the fence and you can either go forward or you can go backwards. And, um, and I, wasn't, I wasn't 
willing to go forward, and I'll tell you what I mean, was that, um, and it's so funny because all these years later, it hasn't changed for me. It's the same thing. It's really the same thing. My sponsor at the time was someone I really liked a lot, someone I admired. He was successful, relationship, business, money, all that stuff. And um, the problem was is that I was intimidated by this guy, not by anything he said. He was there for me all the time. And it's really, is what I think is that, like, how much recovery can you stand, you know? <laughs> I mean, how much do you really want it? I mean, people are there. If you really want recovery and talk to people, people will be there for you. But how much did I want? How much was I afraid? You know, I was afraid. And how much was I willing to let go, you know? And you, you do the analogy where, you're, you know, you're out there and you're, are, you really, are you willing to make that great leap forward into places where, you know, you don't know what the outcome is. The outcome is uncertain but you're willing to take the journey to get to the next level. And um, my sponsor said to me, don't you know that if you tell me the truth or you tell somebody the truth, nothing bad is going to happen to you? And, you know, intellectually I understand that, but still I had a hard time. And, you know, I have the same issue today, so um, and I, I, I'm more willing today, but it's still an issue for me. And so what happened was is that um, on the surface, I mean, I, I, but don't, my life was much better at, at 170 than, than 303. And I, that wasn't the only thing. I mean, I'd done the, an inventory and, and I'd worked the steps. I'd gone through the 12 and 12 and written on each paragraph. And I'd called, I called people and made amends. And um, I, did, I was doing a lot of stuff. I was, you know, going to meetings and sponsoring people. But, you know, it's that, you know, to get to that, really, that place inside of yourself, you know, what people, you know, that really, that really spot how you really, really feel. And, um, and that's, where, that's where I think I was having a problem. Um, and so I wasn't, uh, here's an example. I wasn't supposed to eat bread. So I'm having a bad day. Um, and uh, I start eating bread, like five, six bagels in my car, right? I'm not supposed to be doing that. And so, of course, I didn't tell anybody about it. And my sponsor says, maybe people can relate to this, how are you? That's all you have to say. And I said, I'm fine. Well, you know, of course, I was not fine. So then I had two problems. I had this problem because I was eating bread and um, gaining weight and not telling anybody about it. So I was lying about my abstinence. And I had the underlying problem anyways, which I don't even remember what it was. But it, it, it doesn't matter because, you know, everybody, had, everybody has something. I certainly have things that, um, that come up. So I had two problems. I, had the, I was lying about the food. I was gaining weight and feeling miserable. And, of course, I had the underlying problem, the real problem anyway. So I had all this stuff going on. And sooner or later, um, I'm getting more and more distressed, distraught, upset, embarrassed. And I can no longer say, even semantically, that I'm absent from compulsive overeating. So I say, well, listen, I broke my abstinence. And then, you see, that's another, that's another interesting thing. Is when you break your abstinence, things, 
my feeling was, well, you know, everybody knows now that I broke my abstinence and I gained some weight, so fuck it, I'll eat whatever I want, and everybody expects me to get fat anyways. Versus the other wing, you know, I'm going to take, I'm going to take this relapse, relapse experience, I'm going to turn it a negative into a positive so I won't make the same mistakes again. Well, that would have been the thing to do, but, um, and it's almost like when um, you stop calling someone you're supposed to call, and you hope, and he calls you, and you don't answer the phone. And, okay, the guy's not calling me. And then he, then he calls me again later, and I don't answer the phone again. And then he said, oh, I'm so glad he's not calling me again. And then finally I have to talk to him, and I say, I don't, I don't say, like, I don't care. I know what you mean. I know what you mean, but part of me is very relieved that he's not going to call me anymore. So I can do whatever I want, be left alone, and start overeating again. Which is really a very bad place to be. Because you've given up, pretty much at that point you've said, I've given up everything, and all I care about is overeating. And you stop going to meetings and... and um, and, you know, it's, it's a bad place to be. So what happened was, is that, and, you know, there's another thing about having a sponsor, is that, um, which is a critical part of the program, I don't care who your sponsor is, um, no, when you're alone in your car or, or um, at your house or whatever you're doing, and you feel like overeating, I mean, you're going to do what you're going to do. Nobody can stop you from overeating. And so no one can stop you. So you can have a great sponsor, and they can have a lot of wisdom. And it's like I, like I said, how much recovery can you stand? And Because uh, recovery sometimes is very painful, making changes in your life. And so have a sponsor who's been through the steps, who has a lot, lot of wisdom and compassion and friendship to share with you. But then, you know, when you tell someone something... Um, you're not only saying what's going on in your life, but then you have to be willing to make a change if a change is called for. So it's not just putting it out there, although that's the first part of it, being honest. Then you've got to be willing to make a change. And, you know, sometimes I don't want to make a change. I'd rather be miserable. Because, you know, I think probably part of me is that I love being miserable. It's, very familiar. it's a familiar emotion. <laughs> it's like when you're at a normal weight, you, and, you know, I'm at a normal weight, and I'm not, you know, and I have an okay job and, and the other stuff. So do I really have any excuse to be miserable? I mean, I can, I can, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes it feels easier to be miserable, to really go out, of, go out on a limb and say, I'm going to be happy, and every, every day is going to be great, and um, I don't know. That's just my experience. I don't know if anybody can relate to it or not. Um, but um, I went into relapse in 1991 and uh, it took me eight years to come back really come back to Overeaters Anonymous and uh, I didn't have any epiphany about coming back um, only that um, I went to a commercial diet program and uh, they told me I weighed 489 and um, I'm not even going to tell you guys that that was my worst nightmare because it was my worst nightmare multiplied by a thousand. 
never in my wildest dreams would I thought I would ever get that big. And, uh, but I did. And I came back. And, you know, it's a thing about coming back from relapse is hard because although no one says anything to you, um, certainly I was really afraid, very afraid about coming back um, because I was so embarrassed. But I came back, and uh, through strict dieting, no surgery, in about, I don't know, a year, 13, 14, 15 months, I don't know exactly, I, I dieted myself down to 183. And... Um, um, again, I had um, had this great physical recovery and um, some spiritual and emotional recovery again. But there came a time when um, I remember it very well. It was in '02 um, Memorial Weekend. My brother had been visiting me at Memorial Weekend, and he'd gone home, and I was very lonely and upset. And um, and uh, instead of calling, instead of going to a meeting, instead of, you know, just sitting in those feelings and using these steps, um, I started eating again. And, um, and, you know, and it's like when I start doing that relapse stuff and start overeating, it's like that physical allergy and that mental obsession. It's like it gets me around the neck and it's like choking the life out of me. And I can't stop overeating. It's really, and it's a horrible, it's a horrible thing. Um, how much time do I have? Anyway, so I went into relapse again, and um, I don't know that I went all the way back up to 489, but I went uh, over four. So I've gone, you know, you guys can, you know what a bar graph is? So it hasn't actually been flatlined all these years, you know, it certainly, it went up. And um, so here I was again. And uh, fast forward, it's um, April of 2005. I'm weighing over 400 pounds again after going from 49 to 183 over to over 4. So, although I'm a great dieter, um, I can I will gain the weight back even faster. And it's it's a frightening, horrible thing with health problems, sleep apnea, and other stuff. So, anyways. So it's April or somewhere, March or April of 05. I'm at a meeting um, um, on Friday night and um, sitting in the back, hoping nobody's going to notice me, and uh, at the Darby office in the Valley. I go to the Valley meetings. And um, I don't know, the meeting's like 7.30 to 8.30, I think. So I'm leaving like 8.25, and it's like I'm leaving there. Okay, the coast is clear. It's a clean getaway. No one's going to talk to me. I don't want to talk to anybody else. Because it was a big effort just to show up again. I didn't want to. Lo and behold, somebody, a friend of mine, says, hey, Howard, you know. I said, oh, shit, you know, I almost got away. And he starts talking to me, and um, he's here. And, um, and uh, this was someone who's got a lot of recovery and I had actually asked him to sponsor me previous to that and of course I never called them <laughs> I never called them and it's not that I didn't want to call them I was more interested in overeating that's what, what it was um, so anyway and finally after him calling me he left a message because there was no way I was going to take his calls there was no way 
Um, and you know, let me just tell you guys, I've lied. I've, everything that can, you can do wrong in Overeaters Anonymous, I've done. I've lied about my food over and over again. Um, Overeat on the way to meetings afterwards. Um, the sponsor said, don't eat bread, don't eat sugar. I ate more bread and more sugar. I've done everything wrong. Um, anyways, he says, hey, you know, good to see you. We're having a men's retreat in April. You should go. And I'm hemming and hawing. I don't want to go. Believe me, I don't want to go. Um, but I said, okay. So I went to the men's retreat and uh, actually stayed in a hotel because um, I don't know if any of you guys have been to this place, Rancho Camp Alegre. We're not talking like the Four Seasons <laughs> or even Motel 6. I mean, it's, it's pretty pathetic. It's a pathetic place, but it is a nice place. I mean, it is what it is. There's good stuff there, but it's not deluxe accommodations. And I was too big to sleep in these beds. So anyway, um, and I went to the retreat. And uh, I'd like to tell you guys that's when it started, but it didn't. Um, I overate. Uh, while I was there, I, w I, s I went to the Chumash Casino and did the buffet and I was eating and all this stuff. But it did plant the seed. It did plant the seed, and shortly after, I asked this person again to sponsor me, and, um, and I've been abstaining since May of '05, so it's been like two years and some months now. Yeah. So, you know... It's been a rocky road, to say the least. Um, and uh, so I, what happened was, is that, you know, the thing about coming back from relapse is, is that, um, of course, I'm, I'm thinking I'm the worst of the worst, and maybe I am. Um, uh, everybody's talking about me. Look how fat he got again. And they probably were, but not to my face. Um, embarrassed, humiliated, ashamed, all that stuff. And finally I had to say, well, you know, fuck it, I'm going anyway. <laughs> and uh, once I got there, it's like people care, but, you know, only to a point. Because after all, it's my life to do with to throw it away or to have a good life. And so people care, but only to a point. <laughs> you can only do what you can do for somebody. So I started going again, and I started abstaining again. And what I did was I went to Howe. Because if whether you like how or you don't like it, there's one thing that it's always good for, and that's getting a food sponsor. So I went to how I got a food sponsor, and I did those 30 questions, and I got a step sponsor, and I started doing that stuff. And um, you know, so far it's been working, um, but um, it's uh, it's um, so far it's been working. The um, the the food's been working, and the um, and the other stuff. Um, We've done um, together some some writing. We did. Uh, we've done some writing. We've done a um, some inventory stuff. Secrets, resentments, fears on my parents. Um, those things. And here's here's what I what I really what I really think now is that um, I don't know, and I don't know why it is, but it's so true is that uh, I don't like to tell anybody anything about myself. Um, that's how I grew up. That's how my parents are, were, my mom is. That's how my brothers are. That's how my whole family is. And it doesn't feel comfortable. And my sponsor has told me, he says, I don't care what you tell me. I'm not going to judge you for what you're saying, for what you're telling me. 
And, you know, when you really think about that, and uh, it's a very powerful statement for somebody to make, because if you have someone in your life who accepts who you are unconditionally, and you're willing and able to, um, to talk to the person and not just say what's going on, but willing to make a change sometimes. And, you know, change is not easy, and it doesn't always happen right away. Um, and there's a lot of grays. You know, it's not always black and white. There's a lot of gray. Um, but if you have someone like that, and there should be more than one person, if you have people like that in your life and you're willing to take advantage of that, I mean, that's really a great thing to have, to have those people who are experienced in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, who've been through it, who know what it's, know what it's like, um, know what recovery is, who can guide you, who can be there um, um, to help you um, and not judge you, someone you trust. I mean, that's really a, a very important thing. And um, is like I said, how much recovery can I stand? How much am I willing to let go? Or, I, or am I going to retreat back into myself and start overeating because it feels too scary and too painful to really say what, what's going on? And so I struggle, I struggle with that stuff. And even though people tell me, you know, people are there for me as much as I want them to be, that they're there for me and they're willing to help me. And uh, my, believe me, my story is not so horrific. I've not done anything so terrible. Um, but it doesn't really matter because, you know, if I, it depends how I feel, you know, how I feel about the situation. If I think it's terrible, if I'm embarrassed or humiliated about it, then that's how I feel. It doesn't matter what somebody else thinks. Um, and so that's, I, I would say, Right now, today, that's really the, the, the core issue that I have is in terms of um, the core issue in terms of really having a recovery network about you utilizing the resources that are available to me and working the steps through someone who's been through that who has the recovery that I want and, the, and I have those people in my life. Um, and you see, here's a, a great truth about the whole thing is that. Um, once, um, you know, I'm in a normal way, um, I find out that my problems go run a lot deeper than just being uh, just food, you know, and being overweight. That's, that's only one-third of the problem. I mean, there's a lot more to this thing. I mean, if you're around here for a while, you quickly find out that um, Overeaters Anonymous is, a lot, uh, is about a lot more than just being you know, bulimic or over or um, anorexic or being overweight. I mean, there's a lot to this thing, just beyond just the physical part. A lot to it. I mean, for me, you know, um, I'm a worst-case scenario thinker. Um, I'm um, really hard on myself. Um, I have low self-esteem. I have trouble with relationships. Um, I have a lot of problems. <laughs> I don't have faith. I don't have faith a lot of times in a power greater than myself. Um, when I get up in the morning, I don't want to get on my knees and pray and meditate. I want to check my email and find out what's going on with my work. Um, 
And, you know, I'm not stupid. I'm not the smartest guy in Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm not the dumbest either. But, you know, I don't care. Being how smart you are, self-will, intelligence, all those things are self-sufficiency are great things. But my experiences for me is that um, they are absolutely useless when it comes to compulsive overeating and recovery. Because this recovery thing is an internal is internal, it's about emotions, it's about faith, it's about spirituality, it's about a faith, some faith and some power greater than me. It doesn't care about um, how smart I am or how much money I got or whether I got new furniture or old furniture or carpeting or hardwood floors or what kind of car I'm driving or whether I got navigation or use MapQuest. <laughs> None of that stuff. And um, believe me, I've tried everything else. You know, but uh, it doesn't seem to work with compulsive overeating and recovery. Um, and I've had to learn, it's not, and I know these things, not because I've read it in a book, although I have read it in a book. I know these things because I've experienced a lot of pain, um, a lot of pain, and I've lost a lot of time from my life. Um, I want to, um, how much time do I got left, John? I want to talk about... Um, uh, faith, a power greater in myself, and then stop talking. And, uh, you know, my sponsor says to me, well, yeah, you know, but I don't really hear you talk about God too much. And uh, he's right, I don't. Um, it's not that I don't believe. I mean, if you had to say to me, well, do you really believe in God? And I say, yeah, okay, I believe in God. But, you know, it's really hard for me to, um, it's hard for me to, believe in God on a daily basis, you know, as, you know, incorporating it into my life on a, da- on a daily basis. That's, that's hard for me, and I have, a, I, I have trouble. It's not that I don't believe. It's that um, I want to control everything, bottom line. Even though I know from my experience that uh, I can't, because it says in the book, once you start stop drinking or once you stop overeating, you find out that that's just the beginning, that, you know, recovery is a lot deeper than that. And you have to believe in a power greater than yourself to continue to sustain your uh, recovery and that you read about the guy or the woman who uh, did not enlarge their spiritual life and, and lo and behold, you know, you're in relapse again. Um, but I have a hard time. And I don't know why that is. And I, I think maybe... Maybe part of it is is that, um, you know, I grew up with no spirituality. Um, not really, um, cha- I did not really chaos, although when my dad died at 16, you know, that certainly hurt a lot. But um, not chaos, but sort of repressed emotions. People not talking about it. Certainly no concept of God or a higher power. I went to religious school. But I didn't like it. And as soon as I was old enough not to go, man, I was out of there like a bolt of lightning. And uh, it was really, it's really a shame, too, because, you know, I used to be the best reader in my class, and now I can't even read a word. And, um, and, it's, and, and you know, I'm not proud of that, but that's the way it is. And so I tell you that, um, um, you know, I buy spiritual, spiritual books, and I read them for a few days, and then I stop reading them. I have a whole collection. Um, I think that um, 
the reason there's a very good reason to uh, have faith in a power greater than yourself, and that is because it works. That people who do have faith um, seem to be much happier than people who don't have faith. Um, if you talk to people who have been in recovery for a while, they will tell you that they have faith and they do believe in a power greater themselves. And it feels a lot better because it takes some of the burden off. Because, you know, you know if you're doing the best you can and, um, and things are going to be okay anyways, that the universe is, it, is for you and not against you, that you don't have to be a worst-case scenario think, thinker, and that everything is going to be okay, and that the law of circulation means that if you don't have money today, it's going to circulate back if you do the right things. And, you know, doing the right things that you're supposed to do, how you treat yourself and how you treat other people, that you will get a positive result out of that. Maybe not the result that you think you're going to get, but in the end, it will turn out right the way it's supposed to. Things turn out right anyways, even if you can't see it. I mean, there's always so many good reasons. The reasons, I guess, not to believe and not to have faith, that I want to control everything. I tell you that I have tried to control everything, and I ha- it hasn't worked. It, it, you know, some things, but, um, um, but certainly not compulsive overeating and not these inner turmoil kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I tell you, I really, it's hard because, you know, you have to do a shift in thinking is that I was really trained to be, um, I was actually thinking about this on the, on the way over, manipulate the facts, don't show weakness, um, all that matters is the result I'm going to get, be in control, it's okay for people to ask me for help, but I'm never going to ask anybody for help. I'm going to do it myself. And all that matters is is if I win and not lose. And, you know, that's kind of the way I think. And so you wonder, you know, that's, and I have to change it because none of those those things, that's really contrary thinking um, for program stuff. Um, So here I am. and actually, things are pretty good. I mean, they're not perfect, but um, they're certainly a lot better than they were. My health is good. Um, I go to meetings on a regular basis. I have a sponsor, two sponsors, food sponsor and step sponsor. Um, I, uh, my, life is, my life is pretty good. I mean, I like to say, you know, oh, you know, I'm a worst-case scenario thinking it's terrible, it's horrible, but it's really not. It's pretty good as much as I'll allow myself to, um, to think it's good. But it is good. It is a good life. So that's probably about right time, right? Yeah, you'll have to take some questions. Questions? Yeah. Okay. I'll take some questions. If anybody has any. Yes. Um, you were talking about how hard it is for you to be honest and kind of, you know, tell these kind of secrets and stuff like that. So how do you bridge that gap and actually go ahead and do that? Well, I, um, one thing was we planned for it. You know, my sponsor said, well, we want to do a, a secrets and resentments week. So, and I said, okay. So, I mean, I knew I was going to do that stuff, so I planned for it. Um, and I made a commitment to do it. Um, then beyond that, the day-to-day stuff, I mean, stuff comes up, and um, 
and I don't want to talk about it, and sometimes it comes up through, you know, a lot of pain, and I'll finally get around to it, or I'll make the commitment, but, you know, I, I struggle. I struggle with it, and sometimes um, I don't want to talk about stuff, and I don't. But, um, you know, there's been one issue in particular lately, um, a relationship issue, and um, i got to tell you guys, you know, it's relationships are tough for me, female-female relationships, and... Um, such this overwhelming uh, feeling with women. I don't know what it is, but uh, that I get certainly very baffled about what's the best <laughs> approach. <laughs> anyway, I hope I answered your question. It's a, it's a struggle, but I'm getting better. I mean, when somebody says to me, I don't care what you tell me, I'm not going to judge it, I'm here for you. Somebody can say that to me, and, you know, I don't care. I mean, I've heard, I've been around a long time. I've heard everything. It was certainly a lot weirder than what I could say for myself. Um, so it's hard, but I think necessary. Yes? Hi, thank you for your sharing. What an accomplishment. Uh, your family um, interaction now, that they are still... Disease. Have you disassociated yourself? How do you stay out of that temptation? Well, first of all, they live in Detroit, and I live in LA. But, but um, it's that. It's not. It's not that. It's um. Um. I have two brothers and my mom, and um. um in in a lot of ways, I have a very uh, surface kind of relationship with them. I mean, I talk about deeper stuff with my sponsor than I do with my brothers and one brother. So we're like friends, you know, but we're more inclined to talk about sports stuff or, you know, more surface issues, but not the real deep stuff with my young... My younger brother was here over Memorial Day. He's gotten really heavy. He's over 300. And, you know, this guy is suffering. And, you know, I could just he's so depressed and everything. And it's hard. But I can see... Um, I see me and him, because he can't talk about really hardly anything. And um, so to answer your question, um, we don't talk about a lot of deep stuff. And, um, yeah, so that's the answer. We're friends, and I guess as close as you can be with those limitations. Yeah, yes. I would say um, prayer and meditation. Step, is that step 10 or 11? Prayer and meditation is hard. Um, I think they're all hard. I mean, I, I, I think they're all hard. Six. Um, you know, the, the, um, the, the amends step, was that nine? Eight and nine. That was hard. I mean, I had to call people up and, and say stuff. I had done some dishonest things, and uh, that was hard. When I was in school, um, I had this girlfriend, and uh, she got pregnant, and then she terminated the pregnancy. And I was a real shit about it. I don't know. I didn't go with her. And I, 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 when I think about it today, I mean, how could I have been such a jerk? I mean, it was it's horrible. And uh, that was a hard one. Um, it was a long time ago. A long time ago. Um, they're all hard. They've all been hard. I mean, step one, hard in the sense that um, 
here's the thing for step one. I know that I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, but when I'm abstaining on a normal weight, I think that I can do anything I want to do. And that I'm never going to relapse ever again. I think I can do anything. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to call anybody. Um, so I forget that it's never going to come back. But sir, but sir, sooner or later, something happens, and I'm brought down again. Anybody else? Yeah. That's it? No. One more? No, we actually can. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. Okay.